Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills, in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. In today's program, we are studying the book of Romans, chapter 12. Here's Pastor Ryan. All right, Romans, chapter 12, please. We'll be beginning in verse 6. That's Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. And give me an amen once you are there. And so, Father, we come before you again just wanting to thank you and praise you for all that you've done and all that you're doing. Lord, you are the true living God. There are no other gods but you. You made the heavens and the earth. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Lord. And we love you and we thank you this morning that we get to come to your house and study your word. But Lord, we need your help. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts this morning. Guide us into the truths that you want us to receive. Oh Lord, we ask that if there's any hardness in our hearts, any pride, any doubt, that you would remove it, that you would bind Satan in his lies, and that you would just free hearts this morning to receive and learn. Oh, Lord, may you pour out your grace, and may it be all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, Amen. All right, so we are exhorted by the Apostle Paul that having been saved through faith in Jesus Christ and having received God's mercy, it is only fitting that we serve Him with our whole lives. Paul refers to this as our reasonable service. It is only reasonable, since God has been compassionate to you and I, since Jesus died on the cross for our sins, For it says, right, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And since Jesus took the curse of the law, since he took our punishment, since he made a way for us to go to heaven and have a new life, it is only reasonable that we give him our everything, our lives. And Paul continues to say, and do not be conformed to this world, but be uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may prove what is that good and perfect will of God. And so, daily as we seek the Lord in our prayers, and we open up His Bible and we read it, we spend time with Him, that is the way a Christian has their mind renewed. That is how we find out what the will of God is for our life, which you can find out what God's will is for your life. All of us can. It simply takes the humility for us to sit with the Lord, open up our Bibles, and to pray. And as we read, we ask the Lord to speak to our hearts, His will for our life. And God will show you and He will show me what is His good and perfect will for our life. He will make it known to you. He does not, he did not leave us orphans and without directions. 
So remember that. You need direction? Seek the Lord. Find out what his good and perfect will is for your life. That difficult situation, that problem, that trial that's got you worried or confused, God will give you directions on how to deal with it. He has a will for you. We just have to seek him. And what is his will? His will is a lot of things, right? But one thing's for sure, Paul continues to talk that it is God's will that every member of the body of his church serves him in uh, proportion to the faith and to the grace that he has given to us. We can know that without a doubt. I know what God's will is for your life. And you know what God's will is for my life. I can guarantee you that it is to serve him with the proportion of faith that he has given each and every one of us and, and, and the grace that he has given. And he's given all of us who believe in Jesus various gifts so that we can serve him and serve his church. All of us. So I can guarantee it. I know what God wants for your life, and that is to serve him. It says it right here, and it's for me to serve him. So when our children and our grandchildren ask why they're even alive or what's the purpose or the meaning of life, it is to love God and to serve him and to serve his people. He makes it clear that's his will for us, guys. We've all been given spiritual gifts. We've all been given um, something to serve the Lord, whether physical attributes, spiritually, but the Lord says to use them humbly for his sake. In verse 6, it says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them if prophecy, uh, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, which is serving in general or serving or in ministry, let us use it in our, in our ministering. He who teaches in teachings, he who exhorts in exhortation. So in these things, we are to Use the spiritual gifts that he's given us in a humble way. Not thinking highly of ourselves. Not having a high view of ourselves. And we have to fight against that because our flesh wants, you know, pats on the back and and wants us to be exalted. Our flesh is no good. The only one that gets glorified or exalted is the Lord. It is the Lord who has given us these gifts to teach, to exhort to prophesy, and when we do them, the Lord says, do it with a humble heart. It is folly to think that we are anything in and of ourselves. The Bible says he who thinks he's something when he's not, it's not good. It's folly, it's foolish. We need to, we need to use our gifts in a very humble way, and especially the teaching one here. I mean, you know, the Bible says, let not many of you become teachers because the judgment is that much more stricter. And it's easy as a teacher to get puffed up and, you know, to try to, you know, present ourselves as more spiritual than we are. If we're truly spiritual, then we're making ourselves of no reputation like our Lord. He made himself of no reputation. He was the most spiritual one in the room, yet Jesus didn't let everybody know, hey, I'm the most spiritual guy in the room. He was humble. So whatever you do for the Lord, be humble. And the flesh wants credit. And you just tell your flesh to be quiet. (laughs) He who exhorts an exhortation, he who gives with liberality, 
He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, and he who leads, he says here, to do it with diligence, and and in he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Leadership is something that I'm interested in, highly interested in, because the Lord has called me to be an under-shepherd for his church. He's called me to be a senior pastor. So I'm interested in how to be a better sheepdog. That's what I am, I'm a sheepdog. I'm called to lead, but what does that even mean? <laughs> but a million things, right? But when it comes to leadership and, and, and me, you know, looking into it for my own life, because any spiritual gift that you've been given by God, you want to seek him. To, how do I improve this gift? How do I get better at what you've given me? And diligence is a word that comes up continually in leadership. It's all over the Bible. And we know what, uh, what diligence means. According to Webster's 1828, it says it means to have a steady application in business of any kind. Have a steady application, being steady, con- constant effort to accomplish what is undertaken. Ex- exertion of body or mind without unnecessary delay or sloth. Due attention, industry, right? It's just being steady. Being um, energetic, being industrious. Um, I think of, of steadfastness when it comes to diligence. And, and steadfast means to be fast fixed, to be firm, to be established, constant, resolute, not fickle, or wavering. And so I'm heavily convicted. Oh my goodness, Lord. Wow. I need, I need diligence in so many aspects of my life. Like, I wish I knew now, I wish I knew then what I know now, like about everything, right, for all of us, but diligence. Some of us really need, I mean, all of us lead in some capacity in our homes, mothers, fathers, grandparents, in our workplace. I mean, we have things that God has placed in our responsibility to lead, and he says, well, do it with consistency. Get after it, as they say today. Get after it. Don't be lazy. Don't sit around. Don't just let things sit there. Get them done if you're called to be a leader. And like I said, there's very few people not called to be a leader in our homes. We all have something we're in charge of. But especially if God is giving you a position of leadership. It's like, oh my goodness, I've been so lazy in my life. And the bar seems to get higher and higher as we go on in our walk with the Lord. It's like status quo for last year ain't cutting it for Jesus this year. He wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our King. And if you think about our homes and the clutter and stuff that we may have, I know Sue has an outstanding home. I'll just, I've been there. It's like, things folded nice, hotel style. (laughs) <laughs> you know <laughs> so but if you think about our homes how the clutter affects us spiritually how if there's stuff filled in the closets is there's stuff laying around the house if there's laundry to be had if there's dishes to be done if the yard is a mess can you really sit and have a fantastic devotion in all of that mess it affects us spiritually God's a God of order 
and angels are watching. And our houses can't look like World War III. They gotta, they, they, it shows diligence. Be diligent. Be diligent in your work and your jobs. Be punctual. All of those things. And as a pastor, it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much that I need to change and do. You know, in Colossians, we're told that may the Lord sanctify you spirit, soul, and body. It's like, man, I get it. All right. I'm, I used to tell Clarissa when we first got married, oh, don't worry, I'll lose these pounds, these 20, in like five days. I thought oh, I was a stud. At, when we got married, I was 28 and, you know, playing a lot of ball back then. I go, but, you know, happy, happy wife, happy life. And, you know, it just sticks. And now at 47, it's like, oh, okay. Got to work on that temple. Got to work on that temple. Got to work on everything, actually. I want the house to just be organized so that we can, we can just get into our devotions rightly. You know, I go to prayer spots sometimes, or, and it, there's trash. I can't pray until that trash is picked up. It's holy ground, you know what I mean? It's like I'm, I'm weird like that. I don't want to see any trash at our church. You know, it just affects, doesn't it? It affects to be diligent. In fact, when it comes to the leadership of the church, even deacons, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, and the deacons are those who do the physical aspects of the church work. The deacons, it says, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. So what we're looking for is not just like Bible head knowledge, that's important if you got it. We're looking at the heart and we're looking if they're diligent, if they're just, you know, willing to do anything, willing to help out anywhere and are industrious about it, energetic about it, not lazy about it, who they come regularly and frequently. And all of those things matter because we do all things unto the Lord, not unto man. So we want to see, is there diligence in them? Is there, and again, I'm convicted so much in my, my own ministry, in my own life. Proverbs 20, verse 4, it says that the lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Diligence is a man's precious possession. If you need it, you know where to get it. The Lord. He's diligent, isn't he? And he will give that to us if we ask him. And some of us need to ask. It's long overdue where we're sitting around living in living in homes that as if God isn't in that home with you right it should be set well because it ain't just you in that house it's you and him and and we need to make the pathway straight for the lord make set him a nice you know like if he was coming everyone clean up their house clock swipes you know it'd be because he's, but he is there. He is there. Anyways. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And why should we be cheerful when we show mercy? Why is God calling us to be really joyous when someone comes to you with confessions, with sin? They've hurt you. They've done something. They ask for your forgiveness. Why should we joyfully and cheerfully give them mercy? Oh my goodness, it's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. 
He showed mercy to you and I. How can we not show mercy when someone's broken before us saying, forgive me, forgive me, I've sinned against you. Oh, God forbid we don't show the mercy that God has shown us. Who are we to not give mercy? Jesus was joyous even in his experience of the cross. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before him but being with you and I in heaven with the Father? He endured the cross. So by joy, he distributed mercy to the world if the world would just believe in him which we have. So we get to partake in the goodness of God's mercy when we bestow it upon somebody requesting mercy from us. Jesus said in the uh, Mount of Beatitudes, right? In Matthew 5, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Mean parents are not cool. Mean grandparents are not cool. We need to be merciful. And I pray our children know us as, 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 as serious when we have to be, discipline them when we have to be, have to, but I pray that they see us as very cheerful and loving and joyous, that we celebrate with them the fact that we even have them is a miracle and a joy. But don't cross the line. (laughs) Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And so here we're commanded to let love be without hypocrisy. Our love is to be sincere. It's to be genuine. We know what hypocrisy means. It means fakeness, right? It means playing the part. God doesn't want us to play the part like we love each other, but he knows deep down inside we don't, right? That's hypocritical. God wants our love to be genuine, to be sincere, to be right. And that kind of love only stems from our God. The same love that he has bestowed upon you is the same love that we are to bestow upon one another in the family of Christ. Jesus said in John 13, before he went to the cross, almost like a, his uh, final you know, uh, wish before he went to the cross and to face his death, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so that's the commandment of our Lord, to love one another. And if it's not going to be hypocritical, then it's got to be the love that he has shown us. John the Beloved would write in his first, in his, uh, first epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, he says, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. 
But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eye. And so John is saying that a brother who's not loving, they're not right. They're, they're, some, they're not walking right. They're not seeing right. There's something wrong with their walk with the Lord. And that happens. The church is a hospital. We're at different levels and people come, people go, people stay. But God has called us all to love. And we get to practice that both here and in our homes. We get to practice true Christianity, which is loving in a genuine way, not in a fake way. There are those who love well at home. It's no problem for them to love their families, their spouses, their children. They love well at home, but not so well at church. There's something wrong with that, you see. And we'll get more into the kind of love we're to have towards one another in the church. But you can't have this tremendous love for your family and very little love for your church family. Then there's those who have a difficult time loving at home, their family, but it's like no problem loving those at church. And that also isn't legit. It's wrong. There's hypocrisy there. It's got to be even killed. It's got to be the same all the way around. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Let's look at the beautiful list given to us in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Amen. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries in all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. God is so concerned with us loving. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. So here's the command to love others. But it begins with loving God. And it begins with receiving his love for you. If God has loved you and I, then it's only reasonable that we love him back. And then Jesus says, if you love me back, he points us to the church and he says, now love them. Love them. How? Like I have loved you. Verse 4 says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love suffers long. I mean, when patience has run its course, and we all like have had it up to here with somebody, like long-suffering is the Holy Spirit giving you power to go further and to be chill and to be patient. Is anybody convicted here of that yet? Just a little? I mean, you know, love suffers long. Doesn't give up. Just because someone injures you one, one, you know, one time, or two times. Just don't give up. You don't run off. 
You don't take off. You don't give up. Love suffers long. And it is kind, isn't it? It's kind. They say that a truly spiritual person is a kind person. It's a kind person. Husbands, are we kind? Moms, are we kind? To be truly spiritual is to be kind. Love does not envy, right? Which means, you know, you're not all upset because someone else is... Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 8.30 a.m. and at 10.30 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicollet Street in Banning, California. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. We adore.